Well, hey, Church Intention Podcast family, thanks so much for checking out today's episode. Today's episode is a really, really, really important conversation. Uh, It's not one that I hosted. It's one that I was actually invited to be a part of by Dr. Kenneth Ulmer. Dr. Kenneth Ulmer is a board member at the King's University, but he's also the, the pastor of a really great church in Los Angeles. He was actually a part of leading the city of Los Angeles through the Rodney King riots back in the early 90s. So he invited this really important gathering of pastors and educational leaders to be a part of a conversation about racism and the church. Some of the largest names in church were present. Pastor Chris Hodges was present. Pastor Rick Warren was present. And it was a really important conversation that I think it's important for our listeners to to be a part of. So I want you to sit back. I want you to relax. I want you to enjoy this really authentic and raw and real conversation about racism. I hope you enjoy it. What would this world be like if that little 17-year-old girl had not had a phone and recorded George Floyd? It's not the first death of a black man. They die every day. In fact, a month before this, Ahmaud Aubrey had just been killed. You didn't get this kind of response. After that, there was a young lady uh, who was shot eight times in her own home. You didn't get this kind of response. There was a, lot, a white lady in, in, in Central Park uh, who made a crazy phone call as about as racist as I've ever seen in my life. But there was not this kind of response. What would have happened if that little 17-year-old girl, what, what might, why is this one different? That's my question. Why is this one different? Anybody? Well, Ken, I'm going to jump in there because you and I sat and had this conversation at your place last week. And you said to me, this was a straw that broke the proverbial back. And it was so, in my estimation, it was so strong. And it was um, a time like this. I think that there was something in the spiritual realm. Really, a lot of us have prayed and had a lot of discussions for a long time about race and race issues. and, And at the end of the day... I think that we, like, I think Pastor Rick said this when he came on, we're in a season that's really a vital, crucial time for us right now as a country to see something move that's never moved before. And I think you were onto that when you um, knelt down on your stage. I mean, I would push it back to you and say, what happened to you that day? Why did you respond the way you did that day? I've never seen you in 25 years that I've known you act the way that you acted on camera the day that you recorded that on Pentecost Sunday. It was different as I've never seen it before. I, 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 I'm, I might be, I'm just looking, I, I might be the only, oldest person on this, on this call. I'm, as I'm, I'm 72. I might be the oldest one. But here's where I'm going. My, my, my uncles went to the march on Washington. My uncle uh, took a shoebox and filled it up with fried chicken and light bread and a pound cake. Now, you guys know nothing about light bread, okay? So I, I'm, 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 gonna give you, I'm gonna give you a pass on that. But un- my Uncle Jess, my Uncle Jess had a shoebox with fried chicken and light bread and some pound cake and got on a bus and went to hear Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a, I have, I have a Dream speech. I've been through that. I went through uh, the Watts riots. I've been through that. I went through the Rodney King piece. I went through all of that. Never, never like this. 
It's never been like this. There's something different about this. Never ever has there been anything to happen to any black person in America, in any ghetto, any hood, that reverberated around the world. Never. Rodney King did not go around the world. Even what Dr. King did did not have this kind of response. I, I saw the newspapers and uh, I saw a report and that was a, that was a report from Pittsburgh. Then there was one demonstrations in Paris. There were demonstrations in Syracuse. There were demonstrations in, 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 in Syria. There were demonstrations in New York. There were demonstrations in London. Around the world. It's never been like this before. I also think, and, and when I zoom the lens out, and, and, and this, is not, this is not a theological discussion, it's not uh, a Bible lesson, uh, and, and I probably won't stay too spiritual anyway, but, but I do believe that the prophet Isaiah said something. He says, God is doing a new thing. And he said, he said don't you miss it. Behold, behold, don't, don't you miss this. And, and the word for new there means something creatively new. It means you've never seen it like this before. It's, it's different from everything that's happened, happened in the past. There have been 11, 11 cases of a black person uh, in, in some kind of crime that ended in what was less than, than justice. There is something in the spirit realm. There is something in the spirit realm. But more than that, there's also something as never before in the earth realm. I heard the thing about, about the spirit realm and the prophets and all that doing all those other times. But, but here, here's what summarizes, here's what makes it different for me, Danny. A white lady was being interviewed by NBC, ABC, one of them, uh, here in, in, I think it was here in Los Angeles, one of the demonstrations. And, the, and, she, and, and he said, ma'am, why are you out here? Why are you out here? And she said, she said, uh, because this time I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. So, Danny, somebody's getting it. And they're getting it, somebody's getting it for the first time. This lady, this lady said, I've seen these before, she said, but I'm out here because now I get it. I think in addition to all the other stuff, there are people who finally get it. Now, my, the day that you saw me do that, do that message, my problem was, and my, and my issue was, I, my, my, my church family, my friends know that God has given me uh, uh, relationships like you guys. I traffic in a lot of different circles. But what I heard was, where are all your white friends? Where is the evangelical church? Where, where, where are your white buddies now? And, 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 so, and so I said on that day, and, and, and that, here's what got me upset. I'm saying, I feel like I'm out here by myself. We go to conferences together. You know, all of us on this, on this call and many others, we've done conferences. You've been to your church. I've been to my church. We've been around the world together. Yeah. But, but when stuff like this happened, what was different, what made me upset and what made me concerned was, I'm saying, wow, who, who, who's got my back? Who, who's here? Who's here? Oh, I know we've done the old kumbaya thing and we've done, you know, uh, I, I was involved in, in the so-called uh, healing when uh, black Pentecostals and white Pentecostals came together with the Nashville thing. And I went down there and I washed somebody's feet and somebody washed my feet. I ain't washing nobody. I'm, I'm not washing anybody else's feet. I don't want nobody to wash my feet. I'm not going to wash no more feet. I'm done with the foot washing be, be, because we washed feet and took our feet right back to the same old normal. My prayer, God knows it's my prayer. This one will be different. And now I will say this, praise the Lord. In the last two weeks, they've been coming out of the woodworks. I, I mean, I've been hearing some things, praise the Lord for that. Now, my cynicism says, what took y'all so long? My, my cynicism says, 
What took you so long? What, what? And, and of course, I'm back now to the little girl with, with, with the phone. But rather than go back to that, I'm saying, so now how is it going to be different? How is it going to be different? You know, how, 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 how have you guys been responding in your circles, in the other circles that you're in? What, what have you guys seen this time that makes it different? One thing I, I just uh, was thinking as you were talking, Bishop, that um, just the video itself of uh, watching other police officers standing by and not responding, um, I wonder if that isn't metaphorical to us watching things go on in society. And like you said, your, certain friends of yours are silent and just kind of watching but this is a horrible thing that we're all watching. And maybe God was able to use that, but um, I think it's great that we're having more conversations right now than ever before about racism and what it looks like and what it means and, and how it affects us all. I, uh, I, I think, uh, Ken, three things that make this one different uh, it, 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 you hit, you nailed it. The reason why it caught everybody's attention uh, was uh, twofold. One, uh, everybody's got an iPhone today, and uh, and social media makes everybody a reporter. But there's also, I believe that God used the COVID crisis to get everybody's attention. There was not no other things to talk about. The stuff that gives false humility, like sports where you got black and white players playing together and everybody's rooting for the team. But then out, if you meet them on the street, they don't act the same way. Uh, and, and uh, you know, the, the very fact that COVID put everybody at home, it's like God said, you know, when every parent has done this. When your kids are fighting, you say, everybody go to your room, take a timeout. When you get a better attitude, you can come out. God gave the whole world a timeout. Said, go, go, go to your room, take a timeout. And during that time out, this happened. And the I, I believe it is divinely ordained. There are three things that are different about this protest. Number one is the diversity of it. Um, there are 10, 20, maybe 30 million uh, white people out there protesting too. It's not just African-Americans, not just our black brothers and sisters. Uh, so the diversity of it. Number two is it's global. They're protesting in Korea and Spain and, you know, Australia. And, was, and there are Black Lives Matters movements literally all around the world. We've never seen that, Ken, in our lifetime, never seen it. And then the third is the sustainability. And that is, look, we're into the end of week two and it shows no sign of slowing down. That, you know, as well as I do, that, that when, uh, you know, uh, Trayvon Martin was here or anybody else, it was a couple days of madness, flash in the pan, upset, and then it dissipated and something else took the front page. And so I think COVID actually is one of the things that helped focus everybody's uh, attention. You asked, uh, what are we doing? Well, in our own church, we've had a new level of repentance. We, we, we're, we are a multicultural church, but that's not enough. And I realized that 25 years ago, we changed the A in Saddleback. Each letter represents a value to be all nation congregation. And we said, we want to be a church that looks like it's going to look like in heaven. We are. We speak 167 languages in our church. We may be the most diverse church uh, in America, but that's not enough. What God convicted me of in the last two weeks is we have to be an anti-racist church. 
We have to be a pro-justice and anti-injustice church. Everybody's had stereotypes. You can be stereotyped for being a Christian, for being fat, for being skinny, for, for, for you know, for where, what part of the country you came from, for your accent. So everybody's experienced um, uh, uh, rejection in life. But our black brothers and sisters have something different, and that is being afraid in their own country. And that's not right. Yeah. That's not right. I said, you know what? Everybody, if a red light turns on as you're driving down the street, everybody gets a little nervous because it's authority going to stop you. Okay, we all feel that. But I have to say that in all my years, I've never been worried that somebody's going to throw me on the ground. And I've never been worried that somebody's going to pull a gun on me and shoot me or put their neck, uh, foot on my neck and, and deprive me of air. I just don't have that experience. It's not right for black brothers and sisters to be afraid in their own country. But here's the point. In 16, whatever it was, 1617, uh, uh, the first people uh, landed in, uh, in Jamestown. Okay, the first light-skinned people landed in Jamestown. You know how many years later the slaves arrived? Seven. Seven. So blacks have been in this country as long as whites have. It's their country, too. We don't feel like it. No, that, that's a good point. It, it, it is. We keep saying, see, see we, we keep saying, we keep saying what you just said. It's our country, too. We don't feel like it. It's like people say, well, well why do you say black lives matter? Because y'all act like we don't matter. That's why we say it. It's not that we, that we matter and your life don't matter. It's just that you act like yours matters and ours doesn't. So it is our country. We don't feel like it. See, when, 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 when somebody says, let's, let's, uh, 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 let's make America great again, and we're not going to get political, but, but we're going to get on the edge. When was America so great that my people felt like it was what you just said? We've been here as long as you. Pick any time in the last six, since 1620. What season has there been? There's been none. See, that's part of our problem. We don't have a point of reference. It is true what you just said. It is exactly true. But we don't feel like it. And then when we say we don't, people ask, well, what's wrong with you? Well, 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 you got 20 acres and a mule or whatever it is. And there's some condescending response on that. See, the thing that I think is different is, is that more and more people more and more people of non-color, more and more white people are saying, wow, maybe this racism thing is real. And I'm saying, we've been trying to tell y'all that for years. I have pastor friends who have stood up and said, well, racism, you know, I don't know why these people keep talking about that. They ought to just get over it and just let it pass. It's been gone for so long. And we're saying, but it ain't gone, man. It's still here. And we say what you just said. We've been here the same, as long as you guys have been here. When, 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 when white people took it, took it from the Indians, we were right up in there. And within a few years, we've never, ever felt like it. And that's my point. That's my point. No, no, no so few of my friends, my, and, and, and I'm not just you guys, but, and I'm going to go to the church. So few of the church acknowledges that. And, and they imply that the playing field is level. That's all we want. All we want is a, a, put me on a level basketball pl field and we'll play as basketball as much as everybody else. Make the football field level, we'll play football like everybody else. It's when that bad boy starts tilting that we don't know what end to stand on. And we usually end up at the bottom. No, it is true with ours. We've never felt like it. And I want to just say on like behalf it, man. of everybody, I'm sorry, buddy. 
it, it breaks. I'm telling you, man, it breaks my heart, and uh, it's it's just wrong. And and I like what I don't know if it was Dan or Phil, which one of you said it about the whole thing about silence is violence. Yeah, I got one for you. This will bring in a couple of my other friends are here. Here, I was. I'm 72. Let's let's go down this thing another way. I was set, I was 30 years old, three zero. 30 years old before I ever knew that there were any black people in the Bible. I have four earned degrees, three degrees in, in, in divinity, a PhD, and a D-men. I studied the book of Acts, and this, this is the phrase, verse by verse and line upon line and precept upon precept. And when we got to Acts 13, nobody pointed out that their Bible said he was a black man. One was named Lucius. Now, first of all, I don't know. Didn't say about him, but he had to be a brother. I mean, I don't know how many, I don't know too many white Luciuses. That's a whole nother conversation. But, but this says so-and-so, the Niger, the black man. They never mentioned that man. So, so, so a part, here's part of my personal problem. Part of my personal problem is I've been in and out of the white world so much that the white world has very subtly and not some, sometimes not so subtly caused me to have to choose between being black and being Bible. Don't let that go past you. I have been in academic settings. I have been in, in, in institutional settings. I've been on boardrooms. I've been in classrooms. I've been in classes and I've been teaching classes that will often put me in a position where I feel like, if, well, well, if I'm a really be, be Bible, then I can't be black. I was black before I knew the Bible. And, 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 and I'm going through institutions that are, that are dealing with my mind that are saying, well, you know, you know, uh, uh, those, those people who are involved with social justice, those are very liberal people. And you don't want to get that liberal and, and you don't want to go, that's just too far away from the word of God. And I'm saying, but now, I just left that to drive from my neighborhood down here. It can't be that far away. But I'm just, so, so now I'm on the systemic institutional level. I mean, how, how, how can we're going to prepare men and women, uh, 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 for, for ministry and everything? But, but, but when, when we, when we, 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 we wave the flag about exegesis and all that and exegete and all that, no one told me, man, survey of the New Testament. Nobody told me. Acts, the book of Acts, sir, line upon line, verse by verse. Nobody ever told me uh, uh, the growth of the church, church history. No, nobody told me that those white, that some of those church fathers were from Africa. Hey, Ken, let me nobody jump in here since me, I man. do work at an academy. So, um, and well, you, you, you do so far. You stay on this call. You may not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days we'll get you to Viola to teach again. And we always love having you here. But like to your last point, uh, um, every um Every theologian, every biblical scholar should read Tom Oden's book, How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind. Um, it's subti subtitled Rediscovering the uh, African Seedbed of Western Christianity. And he just gives example after example of Augustine and Origen and Athanasius and Tertullian about how they shaped. So the, the, actually the, the way in which we understand hermeneutics and, and spiritual formation and Christian universities and exegesis, which you talked about, and theology and church councils, it came from the south to the north, not the north from the south, and all of Europe, uh, both Eastern Europe, Constantine, Western Europe, you know, uh, Rome, they were influenced by like the African mind. And that's, and this is not just the, the Ethiopian eunuch, these were like first, second, third century 
um, uh, uh, theologians and 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 pastors, and, and and I think we've become amnesic. We think we actually Christianized Africa. Africa Christianized us, um, and 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 we have so much to recover on that. And I and I do think that we have become amnesic about the great contributions that need to be rediscovered um, about how. Um, both Saharan and Sub-Saharan Africa have played a significant role in how we understand the way in which we do theology, in which we think about the monastic life and church and spiritual formation, the way in which we even do universities. It was like in Alexandria and Egypt, where like where like big libraries started. I just feel like we have done a disservice by by forgetting and 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 not pointing to the great contributions. And the same is true for, um, uh, you know, uh, the courses that we teach. Um, you know, we have, we have plenty of great theologians and biblical scholars and church historians um, that are not white. And we want to make sure that they're added to the syllabi for lots of reasons. But one is for the young, young African-American um, student. When she comes to Biola, she can say, hey, like I can be like that one day. There's someone like, who, who like is a great New Testament scholar and, and she looks like me and her story is like mine. And. And, and we owe that to you as well. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But, you know, when it comes to like where things started, uh, we have uh, we have a powerful story in, in Tom Oden's book, which everybody uh, should be re- reading. Pastors um, should be reading them and telling those stories. And theologians and biblical scholars should be as well. It should be a required text. So I have a friend in South Africa uh, and he, he, here was his problem. I have a friend in South Africa. Here was his problem. Um, it's post, it's still trying to be post-apartheid. And uh, he's in a metropolitan area, and here's his problem. Here's his, his church is, was becoming more, more and more blacks were joining his church after that. Here was his problem. Here was his problem. He hurt for the experiences, for the, uh, uh, the, the injustice of the people of color who was coming to his church. Here was his problem. His problem was he could not say very much about it. He could not take a stand, call it racism. He could not call it out for fear that he would lose the white members who were there before the black members came. He struggled with how to, and, 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 and I know him, so I know his heart. I know his heart. I know, but, but, but it was going to cost him too much. That's the first thing. The second thing was he strategically, and this has to do with his leadership also, he strategically had a, had a, a, a glass ceiling on how integrated the, what the black guys would be in their church. They, they, were, they were leading the Bible studies and they were doing this in this group. None of them were in a position of authority. None of them were in the leadership. None of them were at the top. So two things, he, and he, he shared with tears in his eyes. He said, man, I'll lose my church. And what he was saying was, the people who pay the bills around here, if I piss, can I say that? If, if I tick them off, you know, did, did I go too far? Uh, uh, if, if I tick them off, the bills got to be paid. And then if, 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 I, if I bring them up too high, I'm going to upshape, I'm going to uh, uh, upset the lib- equilibrium of this church. And so I felt for him I, because I know where his heart was. But it was going to cost him. Has it ever cost anybody something for standing? Is anybody? I, I've had people leave my church and we're not even that integrated yet. I've had people leave this church because they said I want, because I said I want white people to come. Ha, ha, has it cost you anything? 
Let me go there with you because I played your video last week that you and I recorded together. And I spent the end of this week responding to so many people who push back because of different things, aspects. Mostly it was your um, focus. It was your intensity. And they read that as being uh, disrespectful to me. And I just said to them, hold it, hold it, hold it. Ken Ulmer and I are friends. Yeah. And when your friend is in trouble, you either run away from your friend or you run to your friend. I chose to run to my friend when he was in trouble. And when your friend is in trouble and he dumps on you, that's part of having a friendship. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I mean, I just told everybody, look, we are friends and I do not be offended for, for me because I'm not offended. I am totally okay with the discussion. But what I see can still happening is that people in churches, white people particularly, are really pushed quickly to defense, to a place of saying, you know what, I, I'm not comfortable with the discussion when it gets intense. I'm not comfortable with the discussion when it gets uh you know, accusatory or like you said, systematic. And so, you know, when I saw Kirk Franklin talking the other day and Kirk Franklin was talking about this uh, record he cut with Toby Mac and and a couple of, and, and Mandisa or somebody else, there's a couple of people on it and he heard it on the radio the first time. And when it got to his line in the song, they had deleted him out of the song because he was talking about 22s. And they assumed the white people who deleted him, that 22s meant guns and did not understand that they meant rims on a car for a black person in the ghetto, that that was how they read this. And so they delete, and he said, that is what systematic racism in America looks like today. And that helped me so much to go, okay, we have got to get into a dialogue, into a place where we get past this, where we get safe with each other somewhere. And anyway, I just want you to know that because I think that's really important for the conversation. Yeah, I again, my, I, my, my, I have white friends who have black members in their congregation. Their strategy is we don't say anything. We, we don't go there. We, we don't get into anything racial. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't you know, want to rustle feathers and stuff. We just don't. We, we, we want them to be comfortable, but we don't want to make the people who pay the bills who've been here, don't want to make them uncomfortable. So we just won't go there. And I think that's unfair, man. That's unfair. That's unfair. I, I know a friend of mine. I know a friend of mine uh, uh, do, during the election. I'm trying my best not to be political. And and he had some had uh, uh, a way 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 to the right person come uh, on a Sunday morning. And I know personally of about five or six black couples who left only because they were saying, "Well, wow, I didn't know that that's where you guys were. I didn't know you because they never really addressed it. They never really addressed it." But it's it's real, man. I'm 70 years old. A year year and a half ago, I'm in Dallas, Texas. I'm speaking at the Fairmont Hotel. I'm the guest speaker for the conference. They send a limousine to pick me up. I drive up on a circle, circle drive. I get out of the limousine. I'm waiting there for my luggage. A white lady drives up behind me in a Mercedes Benz. She's obviously late for her appointment. She gets out. She takes her keys and tosses her keys to me and says, take care of my car, boy. I'm 70 years old, man. That was a year and a half ago. I'm a grown, I'm a grown man. And uh, that was not back in Martin Luther King days. Now, 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 add that 
to, to, to the scar that I've carried for 60 years, six zero. I'm about 10 years old. There's, there's, a, there's an event in, uh, I, I'm from East St. Louis, Illinois. Not St. Louis, there is a difference. I'm from East St. Louis, Illinois, and the Mississippi River divides them. There's a, a big uh, amusement event called the Admiral, the Admiral, big steamship. It floats up and down the uh, Mississippi River. I was the only black piano student in an all-white music school, Shields School of Music. I'm the only black student. They're taking the whole student body on the Admiral. I I'll remember it like it's yesterday, like it's yesterday. I'm I'm got, got my little Sunday suit on, and and I, I'm holding my dad's hand on this hand, and my mom's hand over here, and we're walking down the wharf to get to on this ship. And at the bottom, there's this big, huge white cop with a with a Smokey the Bear head on, like, and and there's this man dressed in all white who I find out who's the captain. I'm ten years old, man. We get to the bottom, and and the big guy says, "Where where are you going?" And my mother says, well, we're, we're going on the Admiral because my son is a student and they're taking the student. And, 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 the, and the, white, the, the white captain says, not today you ain't. And my mother said, no, you, 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 don't, you don't understand. You don't understand. See, my, my son uh, is a music student and all the class at the school is going an Admiral. And the big cop took his, I'll remember it like it was yesterday, took his finger, put his finger in my daddy's face and said, we don't let niggas on this boat. And if you niggas don't get away from me, we're gonna run, I'm going to run you in. Now listen to me. My big impression was not just the big white man. It was not even just not getting on that boat. It was the look in my daddy's face. I can see it today. And I look up and I see my daddy, the embarrassment when that white man talked to him in front of his son like that. I'm a recovering racist. God, God has had to heal me. And I'm 70 years old, man. And, I, and I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And if it were not for the power of God, if it were not from friends like you guys, I, I, I'd, be way, I'd be way to the left, man. It's nothing but the power of God. See, my problem with, with this situation here is that the church, the church thinks it's all God's thing, or they think there's no problem at all, or they think it's our fault. They, they, listen to me. Black people will never end racism in this country. They will never. The oppressor will never stop the oppression. The, the one who's being oppressed will never stop the oppression. Black people will never, will never do it. And, and, and all of my white friends who are saying, well, well, look, uh, well, look at you, Ken. You, you have a degree and you, you, you live in the other side of town and you, and so they make me the exception. So I've been in rooms and I've been in crowds where I knew that I was about one offense way of getting kicked out of that room because I had to learn how to play the game. But my, those scars, man, those scars, man, the, 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 there, there, there's, there's, a, there's a family issue in this problem. There's an institutional systemic issue in this problem. And there's a heart problem. The Bible says God can take out a hard heart, put in a, 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 a pliable heart, He's doing that with me. But there's a system that's got to be addressed, man. And you guys run the systems. You, you, you guys like you run this system. And, and when you guys, when you guys say, you know, we, we've seen Kumbaya and all that kind of stuff, but, 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 but you, you, you are so often, and, and let me, let me, let me, disclaimer, I don't speak for all the black folk in the world, and I don't expect y'all to speak for all the white folk in the world. Okay. So I will acknowledge we ain't monolithic, but, but, but y'all's folk, run the institutions, make the laws. Now, my problem is I'm afraid, and I'm really afraid, 
that some of these young black kids out here, they're going to march and march and march. And I'm saying, when you get through marching, march to the voting booth. Because some laws have got to be changed. Some systems have got to be changed. And when you guys get through marching, and when you go to take, take your placards and your signs home, if you don't get engaged in this, in, in this system, nothing's going to change. That's my fear. Because that's what's happened in the past. And if I could uh, jump in here for a second, I, I think what you said is so powerful that people who have influence uh, have to speak up. If I think of the, the Bible journey of the early church, cross, resurrection, Pentecost, but it took the Jerusalem Council, people who had an opportunity to make a decision to open the gates to everyone. And I think that was the tipping point of the New Testament church because the people that were in power, the people that had influence in that early followership of Jesus made a decision. It wasn't the people pressing up. It was the people in influence pressing down. Uh, it was about a year ago, I saw a picture of the Statue of Liberty I'd never saw before. We all see the statue holding the, the flame, but someone showed me a picture of the feet of the person holding the flame. There are broken chains. You can't have a picture of freedom without both seeing the flame of liberty and the oppression and injustice broken. And that's that was several, I mean, that was 150 years ago. But I think that's the power that we have to leverage is that, you know, when King George wouldn't listen to the early fathers at a revolution. But if you have the leaders leading the change, you have reconciliation. And I think that's the difference. God gave his life. I think he's the greatest example. The one who was the perfect one, the one who didn't need to repent, became the, the sacrificial lamb. I think he's our great example. But in order to be the example, he had to come down and be like us. Yep. I, I, I fear that, that much of white Christendom is still seeing it as them and us. It's them, it's those people, it's those people. Uh, uh, Isaiah says, we, we, we are to challenge the oppressor. You know, uh, uh, this, this, book, this book came out of a class that I taught at the Kings. And the thing that was a revolutionary at that class was, is that all of these young white kids, all these young quick white kids, some of them with tears in their eyes, they kept saying, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Turn to this passage. Turn to that. They said, I didn't know that. And so these, ki these kids were saying, wow, nobody told me that. It was funny because they said, nobody told me. I said, well, nobody told me either. <laughs> nobody told me either. But, but this book came out of the fact that somebody, somebody with earnest, what uh, Chuck Swindoll calls, with sincere questions. Some, some, a generation with sincere questions needs to have sincere answers. You know, uh, Ken, in Ezekiel, he said, I sat where they sat, you know, went to the captives in Tel Aviv, and I sat where they sat by the river, and I was astonished for seven days. And I, I think, you know, conversations like this and the ones that we have with our teams and, and in our church, you know, from the pulpit and using our, our influence to help people do that. Um, one of my dearest friends, Ken Mulkey, you probably know Ken. He's worked side by side with me for 23 years, one of our pastors. He's African-American. And when he shared with me, he said, Bayless, to this day, 
If I'm pulled over by police, when I begin to, to shake, I didn't I know that. I've, I've had some really bad experiences with police. I've had a gun pulled on me by a police officer. I've been threatened, but I honestly never feared for my life. And I thought about that over days and days, and I just, I couldn't stop crying. I didn't know. And we've been friends for 23 years. I hadn't sat where he'd sat. And even now listening to you and this whole thing, I feel like a veil is coming away more and more. We're wanting to do what's right. And thank God, you know, so many of those that are protesting peacefully and that are involved are young people, believers, because I think there's been progress. My, my daddy was raised in a very racially biased environment, very racially biased. And some of the things he said to me as a kid, it'd make your toes curl if you heard him. And then dad got genuinely saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and I saw him change. He and my mother, some of their best friends, became a black couple in church. And my dad died a couple of years ago. And on his deathbed, I would go and shave him and comb his hair. He was not mobile anymore. He wanted one person from the church to come be with him. It was a black brother. And he came and sat on the bed with us. My daddy grabbed his hand and held it while I shaved my daddy. And when that brother left, my dad looked at me and says, he's a good man, son. He's a good man. Only the gospel could change that. And I saw Jesus transform my father's heart, put a new heart in him. And, and I'd never bought into it, you know, when I was younger, but then our children were raised um, in, in a, a new way to look at things. And I don't think that they see color the way that, that, that others do. And then my, my son, Harrison, who's our lead pastor, had to explain to his kids, and they didn't even understand the concept because most of their little friends are from every nationality you could imagine. And my grandson cried for days. He said, how could people do this? So I think there's been progress, like even in, in Exodus, you know, the people have been groaning because of the bondage for generations. But then now things were in place and God said he heard the groaning of his people and then he came down and, and maybe, you know, just maybe, you know, teaching our children, our grandchildren, maybe we made enough, enough progress that, that God is saying, okay, now I'm going to do something. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. In the midst of it all, I'm hopeful. Here, here was, here's part of my problem, and, and, and it, is, it is a problem. Uh, I, I don't know if I've ever said this. I know I haven't said it publicly like this. My problem was having trafficked uh, in, 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 in almost predominantly, almost predominantly white institutions and degrees and stuff like that. I kid you not, I was taught... I was taught overtly and subtly. I was taught implicitly. I was taught by implication. I was taught. You, you, you don't want, you don't say too much about those things over there. You don't, all that justice stuff, all that justice stuff, that's carnal, that, that's, that, that, that's liberal theology, you know. So, so, so here's my problem. So I sat, I said, I'll, I'll be pastor of this church uh, uh, next year, 39 years, 38 years this time, year after next 40 years. 
And, and I'm looking back, I, I, and, and, and it grieved me because I looked back at the years when I came out, you know, holding my little piece of paper and my little degrees and everything and my little hoods and stuff, knowing that I had been indoctrinated with a system that said, don't cry out, don't go there, don't groan, don't do social justice. Social justice is a liberal term. Uh, a social action is a liberal term. That's what those liberal guys do. And so I cheated, I cheated these people. <laughs> Bishop, we all love you, and we're here on this phone call because we've had a relationship with you over the years. We do love and you. And all, all of that, all of that is of God. Um, and again, you're you're kind of you you talk about ripping off that bandaid where everything comes back uh, over you, but uh, you're here amongst friends, and uh, we love you, and I I, I think that. Most churches in this country have been complicit. Most churches in this country have been silent. And uh, I, I have joined many of these men on this uh, Zoom call beating a drum to build racially diverse churches. And I, I have always felt for 30 years, it's, felt, it's landed on deaf ears. And we're guilty of talking a good game. We're, we're, we're guilty of uh, acting like we're concerned that all people are saved, but most churches in this country are still segregated on Sunday morning. Uh, I, I know within a, a, a few blocks of my church are several churches that are all one race. And, and, and the things that you feel are real, uh, but you need to know that the people on this Zoom call, that we're all in your corner and... Um. We've all been blessed by your friendship uh, over the years. I, I just want to say one thing uh, about Scripture, and that is I've always felt, you know, Peter was called to take the gospel to all nations, but he, he couldn't get it through his head. He'd heard it, he knew it, but he didn't do it. And so in Acts chapter 10, he's got, God has to give him, put him in his trance and give him this dream, not once, not twice, but three times. Three was his number for some reason. <laughs> And uh, I've always said if Peter had just obeyed the gospel in Acts 1 and 2, there wouldn't even be an Acts chapter 10 in the Bible. That, that chapter, Acts 10, should not even be in the Bible because the, the leaders of the church should have obeyed Matthew 28, Acts 1 and 2. But it took that dream, it took that supernatural moment for him to finally have his eyes opened that the gospel is for all people. And I don't, you know, I, I, I understand all the institutional stuff and the systemic stuff, but as a pastor, I, I, I'm not like, I, I really don't feel like I'm like Rick, who's got more of a global thing. I, some, God put something in my heart to just serve the local church. I'm a local church guy, and we do missions all around the world. I got that, and I have that connection, but I still go back to the most important thing that I can do and every man on this Zoom call can do is to is to is to live eat drink and breathe trying to build a racially diverse church and everyone you come in contact with to encourage them to do the same and that when you lock eyes with someone of a different color than you you speak first and you try to build that bridge and uh, I, I think that's our greatest uh, solution because 
The government is not going to solve this problem. The media is not going to solve this problem. The politicians are not going to solve this problem. The Republicans are not going to solve it. The Democrats are not going to solve it. It's going to be the church. It's going to be the guys on this Zoom call and all the all the pastors across this country who finally, I, I'm hoping this George Floyd thing is like this dream that Peter had in Acts chapter 10, and that moving forward, we can, we can begin to make a difference. And I, I, Bishop, I believe that that's going to happen. I, I'm like, these, we're hurting that you're hurting. Uh, when this thing hit, we were all, we were all trying to swim and, and, and not drown with all the things happening in our own churches. But having a multiracial, multi-ethnic church solves most of these problems that, that I think that you're hurting on today. And when you have a multiracial church, you have a voice. You can actually speak to all of them. If you have an all-white church, you, what do you have to say to people? And I think that too, and I'm not criticizing, but you have an all-black church, and, and there are reasons for that, I'm sure, but I just think the multi-ethnic church, the multi, the pastor who, who pastors the multi-ethnic church, he has a voice. And I've told my friends, you don't have if you don't have a multiracial church, you don't have anything to say right now. You, you you just you need to be quiet. You need to get out and start Watch. having a multiracial board, multiracial staff. Make your platform multiracial. And uh, I, I that's my two cents on this call. I love all you guys, but I love Bishop, and I'm I'm thankful we can be here to help get him through this time. But Bishop, you're a leader. You're a leader of leaders, and. Uh, I just, I'm thankful for your friendship that we have and all these gentlemen have with you. And that, that's, that's a lot on you that you've developed those friendships. We've been blessed by them and we hope that we can continue this relationship with, with all people of color. You asked what makes this, this different. It's this, this hasn't happened before. And before we can, uh, you know, take a stand, we have to take a seat and 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 listen and i i was raised in a predominantly uh, african-american church down in south louisiana um uh, I, I was on the music team with all black gospel music i mean i i and i have learned more in the past two weeks i didn't even think i had more to learn i i i i kind of i kind of put my chest out there like Man, you, you know, I, I I know I know the I know the plight. I I I get it. I understand it. And Bishop, I have I sat down last night. I had four uh, black couples on our staff just come. I said no agenda. Just I want to sit at the table. I want to hear your story. And they're on my staff. They're 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 the top leaders of my staff. And we we all had so many I had no idea moments. <laughs> yeah. And there there is a moment where we make systematic changes. I think that's what leaders do. But but it's it's at the end of first feeling the pain. I, I call it learn, lament, then lead. So so I have to hear it. I have to make room to hear it. People people are wanting a lot of statements in action. I said, would you please just give me a few weeks to learn yeah. and listen? I, I promise you that my, my steps are coming. I, I'm a steps guy. But but I don't want to react. I want to act. I, I want to learn. And so, I, so I'm having listening sessions right now. That's all I'm doing. I, I, I've canceled everything just to have listening and learning and conversations. And, and then, but not just learn because it can't go in the head. It's got to go in the heart. That's the lament. 
I had, I had one of our staff say, I didn't want an answer from you. I just wanted you to feel what I feel. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's what I do at a funeral. I don't go to, the, I don't go to a funeral and explain why the person died or, no, I just, I'm just there. And I weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. So, and, then, and then once we go through that process, I think that's when we can offer the best solutions. But my brother, let me encourage you, this is different. And I think it's different not just because of the particular hor- horrific nature of this incident. I think it's by the Holy Spirit. I think, I think God set us up in biblical history for this moment. And... Wow. Uh, I think that it happened in the season of Pentecost that there is a rebirthing of the church in this area. And I have great hope and I encourage you and I'm honored to be on this conversation with you guys. I, I, love, I love what the Bible says. Uh, Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved, moved. And, and, and a, a, a tremendous young black scholar, and Eric Mason, tremendous un, a young black scholar. Eric Mason says, says, uh, uh, proximity breeds empathy. Distance breeds suspicion. Proximity breeds empathy. Empathy. Je- Jesus was moved with compassion. He was he was moved, and and is the idea of not just not just feeling sorry, but of moving to relieve the hurt that he perceived. It was it was him doing some action to it. It was moving into it. And so I, 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 this call was because you, you, you can't care. You, you can't cry if you don't care. Yeah. You can't cry. A very dear friend of mine, uh, a Jewish rabbi, lives in, uh, in, in uh, Israel. And wrote me Monday, last Monday. And he said, he said, I want to share with you a, a, a Jewish uh, a tale out of the Targums or one of them. One, one of them. And he, he says, two, two, two friends who have been friends for years uh, were, were talking to one another. And one says, do you love me? And the other man said, oh, man, yeah, you know, I love you. We, went, we grew up together. We go fishing together. He says, but do you love me? He said, oh, yeah, you, I, love, I love you, love you. He says, why am I hurting? He said, tell me, tell me, tell me. I, I care. Tell him, tell me. He said, if you really love me, you'd know what hurts me. If you were really that close to me, you'd know I'm hurting now. If, you were really, if, 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 if this thing is real, and that, that's why, that's why, uh, and I'm, I'm very serious. I'm very serious. That, that's why this group is, is on this call. I, I reached, I, somebody asked me this week, well, did you get a call? No, it was, it was more than that. And I got calls from many of you. But for this gathering, I called you. And I called you because, because uh, the, 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 the proximity, and, and, I, and I've been in this business long enough to know uh, real friendship is not measured by the frequency of communication but by the depth of commitment to that relationship. And so, we, you know, we don't have coffee all the time and go to Starbucks all the time, but, but there's something here that, that, yo, hey, help, you know, and, and, and that's, that's why we're here. I'm on a Zoom call with most of my heroes, and if you're the oldest person on the call, I'm the youngest person on the call, you've been drawing breath over 30 years longer than I have. I'm ripe, ripe old age of 40, and, you know, I, I kind of have this one leg in higher ed and one leg in, in the local church. I, I love my higher ed side with Dr. Corey and 
the president of a university, but you know, I still, I also still pastor a church in Oklahoma city and it's not as big as y'all's churches. It's a church of four or 5,000, but I just have this perspective where I have one foot in both. And I, like many of you, I made a statement to my church a couple of weeks ago and, you know, took seven, eight minutes in my church service and made a statement. It was an authoritative statement. It was something that I would still stand behind. But on my drive back to Dallas that day, I heard your sermon. Hmm. And um, I knew that it wasn't enough. And so what I want you to know, Ken, is that um, representing the next generation, I hear you. And I felt like that day I picked up a mantle of sorts. and I, I knew that I had to go back the next Sunday and preach a sermon. I knew that a statement wasn't enough. And I knew that I had to use what platform that God had given me. And I really, what I really believe is happening, I agree with, with Pastor Rick. I believe that this is orchestrated by God. I believe that hard times make for soft hearts. And I think that God is using these hard times to soften hearts. We heard Pastor Rick's testimony before we started this of all the amazing things happening in all of our churches. And I, I just think that there's a battle happening. And instead of mourning the battle, I'm almost getting excited about it. Yeah. And when the, when the children of Israel came out of, out of, out of Egypt— they had a lot of past they could go. It says that they didn't go uh, on the way of the Philistines. He took them in a roundabout way. And then they were going to go up through the spy route. And that didn't happen. Then they go over to the Edomites to try to get to the King's Highway. And, and that didn't happen. So God takes them all the way around to, to what is referred to as the desert road, the, the desert highway, the hardest road, the one that nobody wanted to go down, the driest, the most dangerous road. But God took them on the most difficult path to fight battles. And we, I'm talking to a bunch of pastors. They go on up east of the Jordan River. They fight the Amorites. They fight King Og. They fight this territory. And the most difficult path led them to battles. But what, what's the most enlightening to me is that that wasn't even the promised land. But because they faced those battles, those battle lines became border lines. And so that became the new border for the nation, where the battles happened. And what I believe I'm doing is I believe that as a 40-year-old, I get to fight a battle. It's a battle today, but for my kids, it'll be a border. And it's up to every generation to fight that generation's battle to produce a borderline for the next generation. And, and Dr. Ulmer, you fought the battle. And my generation stands at the border that was your battle. The battle that you fought in L.A. and the riots, you fought a battle that has now created a border. And now it's my generation's turn to fight a battle that will create a border. And every generation, we get closer and closer and closer to where we want to be. So I just want you to hear my heart, doctor. I love you. And you inspired me. And I lead differently because of you. And I, I pastor differently because of you. And so um, I love you. Thank you for inviting me to be at this. And uh, I'll... I'll pick up the mantle, pick up the mantle. I just wanted to thank you for uh, trusting us. I appreciate your personal vulnerability. And so then, then we just have to take on this uh, systemic challenge that is going to be a bigger, bigger battle. That, that, that was a, a, a theologian back in the 50s, 60s, his name Elton Trueblood. And he said, Lord, give me a place to stand. Give me a place to stand. And my, God's going to give you guys. I'm, I'm, tell, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. 
But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God's going to give each one of you in your own settings, in your own place, in your own culture, whatever. God's going to give you a place to stand. And when God does that, uh, I just watched the uh, series on Michael, on, uh, uh, Michael Jordan. And, and the coach said, get the ball to Michael. I don't care what the, what the, whatever the play was, get the ball to Michael. And God's going to get the ball to you. I, I, I speak it and I'm not a prophet, but God's going to give the ball to you and you're going to have a chance to either score, pass it, or fumble it. And that's when we're all going to have to stand before God. Thank you for listening to the Church Intention Podcast. For more information, visit churchintention.com. The King's University is an accredited, spirit-empowered evangelical university in Southlake, Texas. To learn more, visit tku.edu.